Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you guys who know me, man, it's hard enough for me to get up here and preach without crying in general <laughs> after seeing a story and hearing a story like that. Uh, just, just bear with me, guys. It's, that's awesome. Uh, I, can I just encourage you guys, if any of you are, um, have never been baptized as a result of your decision to follow Jesus, can I just encourage you to do that, to share your story? Um, come talk to me, come talk to your life group leader, and we'd love to help you get baptized you know, here or in your life group, guys. It's an awesome decision and an awesome uh, step of obedience in following Jesus. Um, but for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Colin, and uh, I co-lead United, our young adult ministry here, and also oversee life groups here at the Medina East Campus. And sometimes I get to teach. And so today, I'm really pumped up about uh, continuing our series that we've been calling Broken Religion. And so basically in this series, we've been looking at one of Jesus' most famous teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've been looking at kind of the messed up and broken ways we tend to view religion and understand religion. And how Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he offers something entirely different from our typical understanding of uh, religion. And so we said that when we think of religion, uh, we kind of think of the rules, the external rules that we need to obey. Like religion is all about the things we say and the things we do. So one of the most helpful illustrations I've ever heard for understanding uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is to think about icebergs, which might sound kind of funny, but check this out. So icebergs, icebergs are an incredible part of, of nature, right? Like this, this thing's incredible. And so icebergs can come up out of the water hundreds of feet. Uh, and, and so as large as icebergs are above the water, though, some of you guys might know this, typically seven-eighths of the iceberg is below the surface. And so uh, even if you were in a boat right on the edge of this thing, just kind of admiring this ice mountain, you would have no idea about the complexity and the size of everything going on under the surface. And so you guys can think of broken religion this way. Broken religion is the external rules that modify the things above the surface. It's the rules that control the things that you see, right, and the things we do. But Jesus, Jesus came to address something entirely different. He came to address all this stuff down here, the, the complexity and the size of everything under the surface. Because Jesus, uh, in Jesus' teaching here and elsewhere, he reveals this very important principle that the things we say and the things we do, they come from our hearts. They flow out of our hearts. And so while Jesus is obviously still very concerned with what we say and do, he's most concerned with the attitudes and the motivation of our heart. And so I tell you that not just because I think it's uh, really helpful for just understanding Jesus' teaching in general, but it's gonna be very important as we get into this passage in the Sermon on the Mount uh, today. And so basically in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to take this principle and he's going to apply it to different areas of our lives. So Jesus is going to teach about things like anger, sex, marriage, words, fighting, and enemies. And so in this series, we've just been looking at Jesus' teaching on each of these uh, topics. And as you can see, it's been a pretty intense series because these are pretty intense topics. But today, I'm really excited to share with you guys Jesus' words on fighting. And so if you guys would flip to Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42 in your Bibles, uh, that'd be awesome. And then it's, it's on page 786 in the Bibles that are under uh, the chairs for you guys. And so as you're getting there, basically in this passage, Jesus is going to talk about the idea of revenge. Okay? 
And um, before we get in to see what Jesus says about revenge, I think it's important to ask the question, what is revenge? And then more importantly than that, to think about where does revenge come from? And so, so what is revenge, right? Well, we all, we, we all know what revenge is. We've seen this. It's this thing where if, if somebody harms you, well, you need to hurt them back. And it's a very natural part of our human nature. Um, it comes so natural to us. I'm sure we've all seen this play out in all sorts of different ways. You know, I was thinking about some of the revenge stories in my own life, but honestly, a lot of them were pre-Jesus and not really appropriate for like a family environment. And so, um, but I'm sure you guys have some stories right now that comes uh, to kind of come to mind. And so it, it goes something like this. If, if you punch me, well, I'm gonna have to punch you back. And if you make fun of me, well, then I'm gonna have to make a joke at your expense, right? It, it's something like that. But the thing about revenge is it typically doesn't stop there. Because revenge can kind of launch us into this vicious cycle of getting back at one another. It's all about who can get the last comment in, who can get that last punch in, and who can come out on top, basically. Right? And so it's a pretty nasty part of our human nature. But I think if we were being honest, uh, we all see this in ourselves. Like when we're hurt or we're offended, uh, we feel this need to avenge ourselves. And so I even want to take a second right now and maybe just think about that. Some people in our lives that have hurt or offended us. So maybe you guys are currently experiencing something like this. Maybe you're currently experiencing being wronged by a coworker or roommate. Maybe it's betrayal from a business partner or a close friend that you guys are experiencing. Maybe it's being exploited, exploited by family or an employer. Or maybe it's a spouse or even an ex-spouse that's causing some pain in your life. And so if you guys can you know, relate with any of this or if you're experiencing any of this, I think we'd say probably our natural tendency is to want to get back at that person. And some of us might even say that we even have a right to do so. Like we have a right for revenge. And I just want to ask you guys, like, why? Why is that? Why, why do you think we feel the need to seek revenge? You know, because I, I think probably most of us would agree it's not typically the best way to go about things. Typically doesn't make the situation any better. But it seems like when we're hurt or we're offended, it seems like it's the only way we can respond. You know, it, like it's so easy to get trapped into this cycle of revenge. And so Jesus here in this passage, he didn't come just to address the behavior of revenge, but he came to address the attitude and the motivations of the heart that lead to revenge. So let's keep that in mind as we get into the passage here. So the passage is Matthew 5, 38 through 42. I'll go ahead and read it to you guys. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And so here we see Jesus begins this passage, kind of how he has in other areas of the Sermon on the Mount. So he begins with this concept of, you have heard that it was said, and then he quotes something from the Old Testament. Right? So he quotes this idea of an eye for an eye, or tooth for tooth. 
And so this, this idea, it's going to show up multiple times in the Old Testament law. So here's just a couple examples. This is what Exodus says. It says, but if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. A lot going on there. And then Leviticus kind of summarizes that. It says, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. So what's going on here? Well, basically, God recognizes that our tendency is not just to want to get even, but to take more than what's been taken from us, right? When we're hurt, we don't want to just hurt the person back. We want to bury them. And so, you know, I was thinking about uh, one of my college roommates, and he said he lived by the times 10 rule. So anything you did to this guy, he was going to do 10 times that to you. So great roommate, great guy. Uh, it was pretty good living with him. But it was like, you know, if you, if you make fun of the guy, well, he might put your toothbrush in the toilet. Or, or if you prank this guy, well, he might tase you in your sleep. And he had a taser, so it was kind of scary, you know? And, but, like, you know, that's, that's pretty extreme. But we recognize this, right? We recognize there's this excessive need for vengeance uh, as part of, like, kind of human nature. And so, of course, the God of the universe recognizes that as well. And so when he saves Israel uh, and, he, and he's giving them a law on how to live, he gives them this principle of an eye for an eye to limit the vengeance of man. And he gives it to their judges uh, so they can kind of make fair judgments on, on crime. Basically, this law was put in place so a slight injury wouldn't result in a man being put to death. And so that, that seems reasonable, right? It seems like a good idea. But here, here's the issue. The, the religious teachers of the day, of Jesus' day, they took this principle and they interpreted it differently. And so what they did is they moved it out of its sphere of civil government and into personal relationships. And not only this, they uh, changed it from a law that limited revenge to a law that gave people the right for revenge or an obligation for revenge. And so when people were hurt, they actually believed that they had a right for revenge. And that is what Jesus came to address in this passage. Jesus is going to answer the question, what should followers of Jesus do with their right for revenge? So look how Jesus responds. He says this. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. So, you know, I was thinking about maybe what Jesus might say to this. And I thought he might say something like, Okay, you've heard it said, uh, you know, take an eye for an eye, but I tell you, take nothing. Just forgive them. Let it go, man. Uh, but as we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus dials things up, and he lays out something very intense here. And so before we get into unpacking what it means to not resist an evil person, I think it's really important to point out two things. And so first, we need to see that Jesus here, he's speaking to personal relationships, just as the religious teachers were. And so he's, he's applying this principle to people of the kingdom of God, to people. He's not setting up a nation. And so we can't take this same principle and then apply it to our own government and conclude that we need to get rid of, uh, you know, cops or soldiers because they resist evil people. He's, he's not concerned with a nation, but he has every bit of concern with individuals and why they feel the need to seek revenge. So we got to keep that in mind. And then second, we got to remember this, that Jesus's goal is not behavior modification. Because in this passage, he's going to lay out some pretty straightforward 
and uh, like pretty direct teachings, right? But his goal is not to give us a code of conduct to explain how exactly we need to respond in every situation. He's trying to reveal what's going on under the surface. He's speaking to the motivations and the attitudes of the heart that lead to revenge. So with that in mind, what the heck does it mean to not resist an evil person? Well, in the original language, that word resist there, it means to set oneself up against or oppose. So Jesus is saying, uh, don't oppose evil people, which honestly doesn't really help. I mean, it's still kind of confusing, or at least it confused me. And so I'm sure Jesus' original hearers were just as confused as I was, or maybe you guys are. And so what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to follow this up with some illustrations that kind of make his point. So he's going to lay out four uh, illustrations or examples uh, of, of somebody with the right attitude or motivations of the heart. And so we're going to take a look at those. So this was his first one. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And so a slap on the right cheek, this would have obviously been a physical attack. But in Jesus' day, this would also have been understood as an insult. And so here, Jesus answers the question, what should followers of Jesus do with their right for revenge when they're physically or verbally attacked? And Jesus says, deny it. Deny the right to fight back. And he doesn't even say defend yourself. Because uh, turning the other cheek would mean that you're willingly accepting the blow. That's pretty intense. And, you know, this doesn't mean that we uh, seek to keep ourselves in abusive or dangerous situations uh, all the time. It doesn't mean that we don't try to correct or teach those that are hurting us, because that wouldn't be loving. That wouldn't be helping them. But I think it means that we don't need to defend ourselves every and any time we're hurt or offended. So he goes on for this next one, and he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And so here, Jesus isn't speaking to a physical or verbal attack, but he's speaking to a legal one. And so this idea of a coat uh, is like this outer garment that the Jewish people would have worn. And so this thing was something that was actually protected by Old Testament law for the Jewish people. So they would have had a right to keep their coat. So here, Jesus answers the question, should followers of Jesus always insist upon their legal rights? And apparently he says, no, shouldn't. In fact, we should should be willing to forgo our legal rights, even if it means suffering injustice at times. It's intense. And you know, this, this doesn't mean we never fight for justice, because that would contradict what Jesus taught elsewhere. You know, Jesus calls us to fight for justice, But I think what Jesus is asking here is what version of justice are we fighting for? You know, is it our our culture's version of justice? Or is it the version of justice that Jesus is laying out here in this passage? Because the issue isn't fighting for justice. It's fighting for ourselves. It's being mainly concerned about our own needs. It's, It's being preoccupied with making sure that we are the ones that are treated fairly. And Jesus says, there's times when we even need to deny our right for, tra- for fair treatment. And he keeps going. He's got another one. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. 
which doesn't seem as intimidating. It's like, okay, we're just going for a walk here. Not, not quite, not quite. There's more to it. So here, Jesus is talking about how Israel was under Roman occupation. And so Roman soldiers like this dude, they, they, were actually, they actually had the power to commandeer Jewish civilians to make them carry their stuff. So it didn't matter what you were doing at the time, didn't matter what you had planned for the day. If this guy shows up in your life, he can force you to carry his stuff, right? It, there was a law in place that gave him the power to do that. But here's the thing. The law only allowed them to go one mile. But look what Jesus says. Go with them too. Give more than what is asked of you. Give beyond what's demanded of you. Yeah, you had a right to stop at one mile. But don't stop there. Keep going. And so, you know, this doesn't mean that we don't uh, seek to change the unjust laws that our government has in place. But I think, this, I think the attitude that Jesus is describing here, I think it should affect the way we interact with the laws that are in place. I think this attitude should affect the way uh, we interact with the demands put on us by our employers. I think it should change the way we interact with our families and the demands put on us by them. And he's still got one more for us. This is Jesus' last thing. He says, give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So here, Jesus speaks to our rights to our material possessions. And according to Jesus, we should deny those as well. And so again, we have to keep in mind what Scripture says elsewhere. This doesn't mean we seek, uh, this doesn't mean we don't seek wisdom in, in determining how to be the best stewards of the resources God has given us. You know, it doesn't mean that we just give to those enabling them not to work, the ones that could, or that we give resources to those that are going to use those resources to hurt themselves, because again, that wouldn't be loving. But I think what Jesus is saying here is, is that if we are in the position to help somebody who's in need, we should deny any right to keep what is ours. You know, what's interesting about this last example is it's not even a matter of revenge, you know, there's nobody attacking this person. There's nobody suing this person. There's nobody imposing their will upon this person. And so I hope we're beginning to see uh, Jesus' main point here. He's not even addressing revenge. He's not primarily concerned with what we do, but with how we view ourselves. What we do is important because it reveals how we view ourselves. So what attitude is it that leads to revenge? What is going on here under the surface? Well, it's this attitude that is always insisting on our own rights, is always defending ourselves, and always cares about our needs more than the needs of others. That's what it is. That's what Jesus is teaching against. And you can see it. It's this attitude, this attitude that just focuses on ourselves, that is just primarily concerned with ourselves. And Jesus' teaching is that his followers must rid themselves of this constant tendency to only care about ourselves. That, that can't be there because revenge is just the tip of the iceberg, but this obsession, this focus on self is underneath the surface. And instead of that, Jesus calls us 
to this radical form of humility that shows no concern for ourselves. And man, that is so challenging. That is so unnatural to us. And and you gotta wonder, like, why? Why would Jesus call us to such a radical view of ourselves? Like, this this seems so degrading. This, This seems like these people would be so easily taken advantage of. Well, as crazy as it might sound, I think it's because Jesus is revealing that it is only from this place of radical humility that we can truly live out the rest of the Christian life. Jesus' teaching here isn't that we should devalue ourselves or hate ourselves. You know, the Bible's very clear. It puts a, a lot of value and worth on human life and human dignity. It's not that we need to devalue ourselves, but we need to be freed from focusing on ourselves. I think what Jesus is showing here is that in order to actually love others the way he's called us to, we need to value them above ourselves. I think Jesus is revealing that it is only when we are done fighting to protect ourselves that we can truly fight for justice and righteousness. I think he's showing us that it is only when we are done defending our own rights that we'll be able to be peacemakers. And it is only when we place our enemy's interests above our own that we'll actually be able to love them. I mean, it's it's the same thing with revenge. The only way out of this cycle, this vicious cycle of revenge, is to humble ourselves. It's to humble ourselves. You know, this this broken fighting that's revenge, it leads to broken relationships. And, And is that not what we see in our world? Broken relationships everywhere. It's because this this revenge, this focus on self, it's what permeates our world. And what Jesus is saying is this world filled with broken relationships, what it needs most is people that are willing to humble themselves. Because it is only when we're freed from ourselves that we're freed to actually fight for the relationships in our lives. You know, imagine, imagine what this this freedom from self, imagine what effect that would have on the broken relationships in our families. Imagine what this freedom from self, would, what effect it would have on the broken relationships in our workplaces, our schools. You know, imagine what this radical form of humility, imagine what effect that would have even on the relationships in our church, in our life groups. And we need this. We need this. You know, as I've been studying this, uh, this passage for the past couple weeks, like, it's really been messing with me. Because on one hand, what Jesus lays out here is so challenging. Like, it's so hard. It's so unnatural to the way I, I want to live my life. But on the other hand, I can't deny it, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty beautiful. But the problem is, it is so far from my experience. Like, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be freed from myself. It seems like the more I try to love and serve people, the more selfish I actually realize I am. Like I want so badly to be freed from this constant concern about my own needs, about my own image, and about my own agenda. But I'm so easily trapped in myself Can I tell you, if you feel that same way, I have some good news. I have some good news. 
And it's this, it's that Jesus, he's come to free us from ourselves. Because Jesus didn't just teach about this principle. Jesus lived this out. He lived this radical humility out. When the Bible talks about suffering for doing good, this is what it says. It says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Man, if anyone, if anyone had the right to retaliate, surely it was Jesus. And when Jesus was falsely accused at his trial, he didn't retaliate. When Jesus was struck in the face, he didn't fight back. When Jesus was betrayed and wrongly arrested, he said he was capable of calling down thousands of angels to fight for him. But he denied his right to fight back. And when Jesus was crucified, he was praying that God would forgive those who were killing him. I mean, why would God send his son into the world? Why would Jesus die for the ungodly? Why would he do that knowing so many of us, myself included, would take advantage of the grace he offered to us? Why would he do that? And I think there's only one explanation. Because Jesus wasn't concerned with himself. Jesus was not concerned with himself. Jesus was equal with God. He had equality with God. But he didn't use that for himself. Instead, he gave his life. He gave everything. He denied any right that he had for us to give us life. And now this same Jesus, he calls us to live in the same way. Not to live lives of revenge, but to live lives of serving one another, of pouring our lives out for one another. And man, that was why Jesus came and died. Not just to forgive us of our sins, not just to save us from hell, but to create in us new hearts. New hearts that are freed from ourselves. To create a new humanity, a new creation, a new kingdom of people that actually can live like he does. And that's the good news. That's what Jesus came to do. It's amazing. And so as I invite the band up today, um, you know, typically it's at this point that we speak to two audiences. You know, we speak to the person who's following Jesus and we speak to the person investigating Jesus. And can I just say, if you're here investigating Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for even being willing to investigate, it, investigate the hard things that Jesus has to say. But you know, in light of this incredibly challenging teaching that Jesus lays out for us, man, I, th I think we all need the same thing. We need Jesus. We, ju we just need Jesus. We need Jesus to forgive us for the selfish lives man, that we live. And we need Jesus to empower us to actually live more into this selfish life that he calls us to. 
because I think Jesus' teaching is pretty clear. It is impossible. It is impossible to live this selfless life, this radical, humble life that he calls us to, apart from embracing the truth of the gospel or this good news. To embrace the truth that even though all of us have offended God, he chose to die for us. And like Deneen said, he resurrected and he's given us his spirit to empower us to live this way more and more. And man, embracing the gospel is not a one-time decision, but it is a daily surrender of ourselves in light of what Jesus has done for us. And so I just encourage you, whether you've been following Jesus for 10 years or you're investigating Jesus right now, can I just encourage you, embrace the gospel. Embrace this good news and see this God who humbled himself and died for us. And when we do that, Jesus will change us. He will, he will free us from ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, um, God, this teaching is uh, it's hard, Lord. It's challenging. But Lord, it's nothing that you have not done yourself. And God, we see in it this beautiful thing that you've done. The God of the universe humbling himself to come down, to step down into humanity to even die for us, God, giving your life, laying down any, laying aside any right that was yours, Lord. And God, we're just in awe of that. I'm in awe of that, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that, God. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today, God, who, who does not, you know, maybe it's the first time they're hearing that, God. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal that you've made a way, God, for them to enter into this relationship with you, Lord where you actually have the power and the resources available to free us from ourselves, Lord, to free us from this constant concern and anxiety about always being worried and concerned with ourselves, Lord. And God, I pray for just this church, Lord, that, that we too would be amazed at what you've done, Lord, and it would call us into this selfless life, God, to give ourselves to one another, Lord, to give ourselves to this world so people could see you. So people could see you, Jesus, and see the selfless God that we worship and that we love. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We're just in awe of you. You're the King, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.